little check. Actually, just pause for a moment. God, we pray for Bill and Myrtle's family. Um, it's tough times when someone you love dies. And we grieve. We pray for your presence, the presence of loving people around them, for your presence amongst them. Uh, you promise to comfort and not to bruise, not to break bruised reeds. We pray for your presence and your comfort. Amen. Okay, summer finally arrived. Do we like summer? I like summer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who's been in the sea? Good on you. Who hates going in the sea? Has to be a few hands. Absolutely good on you. Um, I am um, over the new year. I, Linda and I have shot away to Kakanui, which is just above, just below Omaru, where there is a surf some of the time. And I, um, then I came back here and kind of was struck again by how nice it is. We live like a beach resort. It's, it's just over there. That is really cool. I'm, I'm really taken with it. Um, and I, I really love the beach. I, still, I am still a wannabe surfer. I like to get into the surf, but actually the whole process of being fit enough to swim past the waves and then stand up on waves in the back and, and, and look good, those combinations all seem to escape me, but I love being there. Um, and what we're going to do today is, is read a bit from Mark where Jesus goes on a beach holiday. It's kind of true. He does go on a beach holiday. That's not the full story. Um, there are four books that were written about Jesus' life that made their way into the Bible. Four gospels, we call them. As far as we can tell, the first one written was Mark. Um, and it's the briefest. It's the condensed version. It's the Lee Child thriller version. Okay, minus that sort of last bit of huge gratuitous violence that has to make its way into the Lee Child. Although you could say, no, I'm too far. Um, and it's followed by Matthew, Luke, and then um, we think finally John. And, and this story pops up both in Matthew and Mark. And in, it's interesting that in both versions, because they're both writing with different things in mind, they're not always following the same order, but in both versions, the order is pretty much the same. So in the chapter before, and I can't believe it, I didn't have it up in front of me, and I'm having a mental gap, I think we're looking at Mark 6, but I'm probably wrong. Put on the next chapter? Well, we'll get there. In the chapter before, ah, I think it's the chapter before is, we're in Mark 7. In the chapter before, at the end of the, that chapter, um, there's a summary of how things have gone. And what has happened is everybody rushes off to Jesus with their sick, and Jesus has healed them all. In fact, what we're told, Jesus comes to the marketplace, and instead of being filled with the stuff you get at the marketplace... Um, it's filled with sick people, and all they have to do is touch the edge of his cloak, and they're well. That'd be good, wouldn't it? I could handle me a bit of that. That'd be lovely. And then what happens next in both Matthew and Mark is Jesus has this encounter with the Jewish authorities. They come to Jerusalem, and they can't quite bring themselves to pick on Jesus, so they pick on his disciples for not washing their hands properly and following the proper food walls, and they have a big discussion about power and purity, because often religion at the time, thought that bad things came from outside. So if you didn't touch the bad things, you were all good. Yep. And Jesus' response is pretty much to say, no, not like that. See, if you think bad things come from outside, what do you do? Any ideas? Stay inside. And if you're thinking of it on a national level, what do you do? You 
you build a wall. <laughs> That's how you keep the bad people or things away, by building a wall. And, uh, and actually, if that's how your religion is based, then that's the temptation always to build a wall. I noticed um, in a church in Ottawa put up this nativity scene. The um, pastor said um, that he said they deliberately put it behind the, the fence, behind a fence, because he said there was a parallel between the migrants who come to the US-Mexico border seeking asylum and the Christian story. He said, though it's not a direct comparison, the details in Matthew's um, gospel can be used to consider people fleeing to our country, seeking shelter from oppression and violence. See, the great thing about a wall is if you have a big enough wall, you don't need to think about the people on the other side. In fact, you can say what you like about them because you don't know them. Yep. Because if you don't know them, then building a wall, you keep those bad people out. And, and we've seen that play out in a number of places and settings, some of them kind of disastrous. Um, it was one of the things that the Nazis did quite early on is um, not just paint the Jews as being the baddies, but actually export them to ghettos and build walls. Because you can keep... It's really hard to paint someone you know as a baddie because you get to know who they are. So anyway, they have this bit of encounter and Jesus ends up saying, listen, it's not the stuff on the outside we need to guard against. He said, it's our inside. The source of evil isn't all those bad people. It's inside us, so a wall is not going to work. A wall's just, you know, it's going to be... Wall solution, not so great. So here you go, Mark chapter 7. We're told, in verse 24... Um, that Jesus leaves that place where he's been working. Remember all these miracles and that kind of stuff. And he goes to the vicinity of Tyre and he enters a house and he does not want anyone to know it. So this is a bit like you go on holiday to a city that you know and you've got maybe friends and relatives there and you don't let them know. Why don't you let them know? Because there's all this obligation. Yep, you don't want to go visiting. Maybe you don't like them. Maybe introverts at this stage will be thinking, yeah, I know that feeling. Extroverts, maybe not quite so much. And in Matthew, we're told a bit more, Jesus withdrew to the region. He, it was, there was a withdrawal involved. And yes, was it a beach holiday? Here they are in the map here. They were in Capernaum and they have shifted over to Tyre, which is outside of Jewish territory. In fact, it, calling it a beach holiday isn't really fair. Yes, it's next to the beach, you can see that. Um, but it's not fair because this was a place, Tyre was a place where the con prophets constantly denounced. Tyre, a bad place. It was on the border of Israel and it had played um, various nations off against each other and done reasonably well and pretty much until Alexander the Great came along and then Alexander the Great kind of um, took over. And even Jesus at one point uses Tyre as an example. He's, uh, it's in a place when he's trying to say to some insider people, man, if only. And so in Luke 10, and have I got the passage up here? Yep, I've got, in Luke 10, he, he says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles had been performed, you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon. Now he's picking those as examples of bad places. Okay? They would have repented long ago. But... It'll be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon. 
than for you. So he's gone to, I don't know, what's a good example of this? I was thinking about Australia. No, too soft. America, no. This is almost like going on holiday to North Korea in their mind. A baddie. So not only has he stepped outside the wall, he's gone, he, yes, he has gone to the beach, but he's gone to a place that is not highly regarded by Jews. And remember, he withdrew and hid himself. And I imagine, I like to think about this, I imagine that he's exhausted and tapped out. You know that feeling, end of December? All the deadlines, all the stuff you have and haven't got done, all the pressures, and then we're going to sandwich in family get-togethers, and we're going to, all those obligations, and maybe then you're planning for your summer holiday, and where are you going to go, and how much, you know, anyone know that feeling? No? Just me? Okay. <laughs> there are one or two who'll admit it. I think this is where Jesus is at. I think it's significant that Mark said he's, he with that Matthew says he withdrew. I think it's significant it says that he was there, but he didn't want to let anyone know. Remember, what's just happened is he's been so popular that everybody is rushing to him to get healed. And so I think he's tapped out. And imagine you're one of the disciples and Jesus books an Airbnb at a holiday location somewhere where he thinks he'll be unknown with no pressure. How are you feeling? It's like January holiday time. You're good. So there's Jesus and the disciples staying at this booked batch by the sea and escape from the pressure. And what do we do when we're by the sea in that kind of setting? Well, tapped out, I read books. Beach, I'd be tempted to surf, boogie board. Anyone here watching Netflix at this stage? Here's a few smiles. <laughs> Crosswords. Any kind of low energy recharge thing. Computer games for some people, no doubt. Anyway, there they are, relaxing, breathing the, the air, and there's a knock on the door. Or, if you like, a cell phone call from your boss. Or an email that says you need to act. How do you feel? Not that thrilled. Well, first of all, in this case, it's a woman. And women don't come calling. They don't ever in that culture. They should have someone with them. And it's a foreign woman. And foreign women really don't come calling. And Mark and Matthew tell us that she's a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia, and she's an outsider. So she's one of those on the outside of the wall. And in Matthew it says she keeps crying out, which means that Jesus doesn't just go, oh, no, here you come. No, ever, ever had someone knock on the door and not want to answer it? Anybody here ever ducked and hidden? No, no, sure, surely not. That feeling, she keeps crying out and Jesus doesn't respond. And she keeps crying out. And Matthew tells us that she was annoying enough that the disciples come to Jesus and say, look, send her away, she keeps annoying us. She's there because she has a daughter who has somehow ended up with an evil spirit in her. And her daughter is suffering terribly. Now, quick quiz here. What happened at the end of the previous chapter? Everybody bought the people to Jesus, touched his cloak, and they were healed. So what do you expect to happen next? Borrow my cloak? <laughs> Sorted. And if you're one of the disciples, 
I, I wonder why they didn't say, heal him. Just, just, just heal the person. And instead they say, send her, send her away. Now, this photo is probably, you probably think it's not that fair. Is he looking like happy to be interrupted? Grumpy Jesus. You don't hear many sermons about grumpy Jesus. It's a scary concept. But this is what Jesus says in Matthew. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. I don't know about you, but to me that sounds a little bit like grumpy Jesus. I'm not a, I've been hiding away. I'm wanting recharge. I don't know about the recharge, I'm guessing. And it, here comes this outsider who won't go away, and his response is, okay, I'll, so, isn't, not, I'll sort it. It's, uh, it's not really why I'm here. And to be fair, and we find that quite hard, because, uh, well, I'm certainly not Jewish. So um, what does that say about me? And we know that Jesus, in his death and resurrection, that's for everyone. But this is before that. And actually, he is there with a role. What's his role? He's to fulfill the role of the Jewish Messiah. And that is particularly for the Jews. Not a lot of point in being a Jewish Messiah to a bunch of Greeks. You're going to have to spend half your time trying to teach them what a Jewish Messiah is. So this life is about the lost sheep of Israel. He'll have a sorted but that's yet to come. And in Matthew, the woman leads before him and says, Lord, help me, and I'll go back to Mark. So in Mark, this is what Jesus says. First, let the children eat all they want, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Whoa! Excuse me? Dogs? That's a bit harsh, isn't it? Actually, it's not as harsh as we think. Um, apparently, there are two words in Greek used to talk about dogs. Um, one is for wild animals that you want to be careful of and maybe kill, and the other is for pets. So who here has a dog? Pet dog? Yep. That's the word. It's for a pet dog. So for the McGifford family, yes, this is Pepsi. <laughs> and actually, in those days, you didn't generally buy, go down to the supermarket and buy dog food the way we do. Dogs just ate whatever was left over. Yep, they ate off your plate. They, um, as many dogs do today, yes. So, okay, it's still a bit harsh, but you can hear the disciples grunting with approval, Jesus is here for us, not for you. He's one of us, and he has a vision, and he's chasing that vision, so you're a distraction. Another call placed on someone who we've seen is overwhelmed, so give the man a break. What would you say if you were the woman, you'd approach Jesus, and Jesus had said, almost suggested that your daughter's a dog. Well, I don't think it would go down well with many of us. I think most of us would talk about rights, maybe gender equality, racism. Maybe we'd bristle. This is like bring on a fight material. And she comes back with a zinger. She says, you're wrong to Jesus, I think. In Matthew, it's clearer. She says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She says, you're going to feed your dogs the leftovers anyway, and you have leftovers. How's that for a pie? That's pretty good, actually. And it begs a question of Jesus. 
do you have leftovers? Oh, now there's a nub, isn't it? You got anything left over for someone in pain? At this point, I'm imagining. I'm imagining that a Jesus who was running away and taking a break, and I imagine feeling tapped out and exhausted. I'm imagining he stops and he thinks, well, do I have any to spare? Do I? And his answer is, yes. Of course it's yes. There's enough. There's more than enough. I, I might be pushing it too far. I mean, and, and look, we like to think of Jesus as being God, fully God. And so we, we struggle when we think about him being fully human. That's hard for us. But what if he did feel like he was on the bones of his behind? Tapped out, wanting to run away. That seems pretty universal to humans. But when you feel like there isn't enough, enough left over, there is. Because it was never all about you, and never all about you and your resources. I reckon Jesus must have been, it's almost like he tried to shut this outsider down. And I wonder, was Jesus surprised? He was kind of out-argued in this. Uh, look, I'm trying to take his, what he says. Uh, I do recognize this is actually a difficult passage, and if you're feeling upset with the way I'm dealing with Jesus here, fair enough. <laughs> um, give me the benefit of the doubt. I'm just trying to explore what would it be like for this odd encounter that um, scholars actually fight over this one a lot. But he is kind of, he's kind of out-argued. He kind of says this dog's line and she picks it up and says, yeah, but even the dogs get the leftovers. And how easy it would have been for Jesus to have shut this outsider, this woman, this foreign woman down or tell her how presumptuous she was. But if you remember, there's someone suffering. And admittedly, in Jesus' day, there were no cold calling, calling spammers. Uh, TV wasn't broadcasting the needs of the world 24-7. There was no internet, Facebook. What there was was someone near to him and someone suffering. And what's he going to do about it? Well, he tells her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Which is a bit odd for Jesus. Um, very often when there's healings, there's a touching you know, there's a, a mud or touching a Jesus' cloak. And in this one, there's not even a clear command. He just says, done, sorted. And even there's a little bit of affirmation of the woman, for such a reply, you may go. Do you, does, do you think Jesus enjoys being argued with? There's a thought, because there's a nucleus of an argument here. It's not straightforward. There is a the disagreement going on. But without a spoken command, Jesus said, all good, it's done. And she goes home and finds her child lying on the bed and the demon is gone. Well, who expects that on their beach holiday? Certainly not me. 
So I have some reflections. It's January, so don't expect a full-fledged sermon. The first reflection is good news. I reckon God is always happy for you or me to interrupt. Especially if you're bringing the suffering of someone else. Always listening keen. And the woman, man, was she right to bring her struggles and pains to Jesus? Oh yes, good call. And I'm quite taken with the banter between Jesus and the woman. It's left me wondering if our prayers could be a lot more imaginative than we often are. Because there's a funny kind of conversation going on here. I wonder if there's room for imagination and exploring. And if you are human, let's face it, you do carry some pain and there is pain for others. That's part of the human condition. And yeah, it looks like not all of it is fixed instantly. Bring it to Jesus. You could do a lot worse. And the second reflection is that if you're a follower of Jesus, well, I think from Jesus' perspective, the disciples' perspective, it's worth... Well, I read this... Last year, I read this quote that says, the gospel comes with a house key. It's not the key to the church. It's the key to your house and your life, my house and my life. Which means sometime or another, someone's going to knock on your door. Uh, not Jehovah's Witness, not the person who's selling you fastboard band or double glazed windows, but someone who comes to you with some pain. And it's got harder to knock on people's doors. Um, we don't have walls, what we have is really tall fences. Who can see into your garden? Not many, if any. We build taller fences, and the result is, you can see the graph up there, actually the number of people feeling lonely in our society skyrockets. We have, um, this was the first line, uh, 139,000 was a census taken by um, New Zealand statistics as to people who felt lonely most or all of the time. Um, then two years later, 2016, it's just about doubled. Not quite doubled up by another 100,000. Loneliness may not be the right term, maybe isolation is the right term. The woman's problem isn't that she's lonely, it's that she's in a situation of pain and isolated. And I think, as followers of Jesus, someone will knock on your door, will come to you with pain, and it will be annoying, and you'll be left with a choice. You're going to duck, hide, Or you're going to open the door. And if you open the door, well, what's going to happen next is you're going to get to know them. And you know what's going to happen if you get to know them? Some of our lovely clear-cut answers are going to get a little less clear-cut. Because that's what people are. That's actually kind of what happens with Jesus. He's got a clear-cut answer. I'm not here for you. But he is. So what does that mean for us? Well, Parklands Baptist Community Church, we're kind of proud, right to be proud, that we have lots of parents and kids come in here for a move and groove. And a whole bunch of people come. Uh, we had a couple of guests over who aren't from our section of town. Guests come over uh, last night for dinner, and one of them had been here for Christmas in the park. You know, we're right to be proud about this stuff, and Araha and Foot Clinic and thriving, uh, the thriving Claff Club. But the gospel comes with a house key, the key to our houses. 
And somewhere in this is this response to suffering. The other thing you see in this little story is that everyone matters. Everyone matters. Everyone matters. Can't say it enough. Everyone matters. And one of the challenges we have in this church is that we represent a certain age and demographic. We don't have a lot of little kids for a variety of reasons. And we have to have a look at that because we have to decide whether or not they matter. Actually, they really do. They have this real gift for us. But not everything that we do is well set up for them. Actually, if I had toddlers bringing my um, kids along to a church where we spend three quarters of an hour singing and then listen to a sermon like this, it doesn't sound like a recipe for heaven, does it? Um, I think we actually have to have a look at this. We have a lot of connection in our community work with people, the people we see at Christmas in the park, but actually inviting them to church on a Sunday is not always a great bet for them. And I think we've got some work to do. That's, if you're wondering, one of the reasons we've got tables at the back with colouring in and Christians over here is we're trying to think about what can we do about this because at the heart of the gospel of Jesus is that everyone matters. Everyone matters. And the invitation actually isn't come to my church. It's come into my house, which is tougher. Come into my life. Then it's then I'd love it if it came come to our church. But it's more than that. So those were some reflections built around a story that's a bit awkward. A kind of angular conversation with Jesus who's trying to get away. And he's interrupted and it's January and a bunch of you are on holiday. And the beach is over there and it's hot and wet and really nice if you don't mind the sand. Um, I recommend it heartily. Um, and you probably won't get interrupted. But what if you are? And what if we were the kind of people who were known for interrupt these guys and they're interested in our suffering and inviting Jesus in that? That's one possibility. And the other is that you personally are carrying a fair bit of pain now. And there. And not all pain is, you know. Some is long-term. And if that's you, bring it to Jesus. Have an imaginative conversation with Jesus about that. I'd like to pray. If I can have the team up, we're going to sing a song, and that'll be us. Um, there is some tea and coffee out there. I'd really appreciate it if some people could help us clean up afterwards. Oh, and one more thing, one more thing. If there are some muscular people who are willing to help with a little, at the end of the service, we'd like to take these two bits of stage down and put them on the floor. Okay, we're going to need about 10 blokes. Oh, all women. Um, let's not be... Um, 10 people with, who are feeling muscular. I just dug a hole for myself there, didn't I? Um, to do that. But I'm going to pray and we're going to sing Build My Life. Is that right? Yep. I am going to need this after all. God, so let's acknowledge that there is pain in this world and it grieves you. And each of us have some of that. And just for a moment or two, we want to bring that pain to mind, the stuff we run away from, distract ourselves from. And then we want to bring it to you. If you were sitting with Jesus now, 
you had a chance, what would you say to Jesus about the pain of your pain or someone you know? Okay, I'm going to pause for a moment, interrupt you in that thought stream and just imagine for a moment that Jesus responds. What does he say? Now I'm interrupting that imagined conversation. God, we are who you have made us. Work in our lives, bring healing and release, work through us. And make us people who are quick to be interrupted and quick to see you at work. Amen.